Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. My name is Antramika Knight, um, and here at River City, um, before we start service, or at the start of every service, we read a psalm, and it's from the lectionary, um, and the reason we do this is because it's a way for us to actually remind ourselves we're part of the global church, that we are all, no matter where we're serving on Sunday, no matter what time we're arriving at church, that we're all part of God's global church, that we're all his bride. And it's a way to connect with the churches all over the world. Um, today's psalm is Psalm 90, and we're going to be reading verses 12 through 17. And it says, So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And maybe bow our heads in prayer. God, thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Thank you that our grandparents were able to know you, that we're able to know you, that our cousins, aunts, sisters, brothers, our children, you are a generational God that exceeds time. Time is a constraint here, but not for you. You are an infinite God. Lord, may we remember that. We cannot place anything upon you. We can only pray for what you have the work of our hands to do. Thank you for everyone that is attending River City. May they feel that they have a place here at the table as we connect with each other. May we remind each other that we are here to serve one another. May we feel and honor you, God, with our humility. Thank you, Lord, for those who know Jesus, but also those who do not. May we be willing to share our testimony. May we point them back to the word. 
We bless your holy name, Lord. Thank you for being a good, good father. Amen. If you guys will stay standing, we're going to go into prayer. What a beautiful way to go into prayer. Um, yours is the power and the glory forever. Amen. And it's our way through the words of Jesus of saying, God, we trust you enough to say yes. And so, God, we trust you today. And we're, we're just going to plant our feet in faith and say, yours is the power to move in this church and on this earth. You have a place to move in glory in this church, in our families, and on this earth. So will you move in the global church, in the family of God? Will you move among your people across denominational lines that we would see those lines begin to erase as we join together in unity, one heart, one mind, bowing our knees before Christ? Will you heal the global church and make us one? We pray for all those who govern and are in authority. Will you cause them to lead with justice and peace for the good of all people? We pray for the world and for the conflicts and for the natural disasters and human disasters. Guys, will you just cry out the name of Jesus for those disasters? Yes, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Those who have no homes because of the hurricane, those who have no homes because of war, those who have no food and no water, will you have mercy on those that have been stolen or trafficked, those who are in prison unlawfully? Will you have mercy on the widow and the orphan and the alien? And will we be your arms of mercy, Jesus? Lord, we pray for those who are suffering and in trouble, both across this earth and in our local communities. Will you have mercy? And for those in this local body, for those that have needs, there's some space now for you guys to bravely speak out your need. What is your need this morning? In this room, God, we need healing for marriages. We need health for babies who are about to be born. We need healing for sickness, provision for housing, money and bank accounts, food on the table. We need freedom from the things that bind us. We need relief. We need healing for mental illness and resources for all the above. Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy on your people. And then finally, we rejoice 
for the sun on our faces and the wind in our hair and the earth beneath our feet. We praise you for the family of God, for a hand to hold. We praise you for freedom in this nation. We rejoice. We choose to rejoice today, God. And if our faces are downcast, we lift them up and we say yes and amen to the goodness of God. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Really quickly, recapping the history of the last month or so. We've been in 1 Peter, and we're, not, we're pretty close to the end of this book, actually. It's not like Mark. Mark took us over a year to get through. This book is only this big. So we have, I think, three messages left, including this one. We've seen so far in this book that, first of all, you need to know this group of Christians is in serious danger for their lives. And literally, that's the truth. Every day, they think, this might be my last day. As I've said before, they were lighting arenas with Christians' lit bodies by flame and sending animals to attack Christians dressed in the clothes of dead animals, which are just skins, they're not clothes. Unless animals started wearing clothes back then, then this is a whole new thing. So, but their days were different than ours. Their days, when we talk about struggle, our struggle looks different. We talk about our bank accounts and stuff like that and relational issues. Their struggles were literally, we might die today. And so every interaction they had with their family and friends meant a lot. They were thoughtful about everything. Every person that was in their lives had to mean something. Every person they bumped into that didn't know their Christ or Messiah, they were probably so thoughtful about what they would say. Even the tone, I imagine, was so thought through when they were giving the gospel. So we've seen Peter's talk through some of the issues that were happening through slavery. He's talked through how women are treated in a society. Last week was the passage, one of the most difficult passages, or two weeks ago, where Jesus descends into hell. It's where we get the Apostles' Creed from. And we've kind of gathered from that passage that the idea isn't so much, let's theologically lock in what we mean by that, because there are a lot of different views. But the idea that Jesus will travel to any distance even on the other side of death, to bring his gospel. It actually says he goes and preaches, which is unbelievable, which means for us there's no limit to how far you've gone or how far away from him you are that he can't reach. That's good news, right? Because many of us, all of us were dead. Many of us walk in that, and sometimes we just need to hear it when we think we can't, right? He actually conquers death, right? He takes the world's best tool for war, death and beats it right he beats death so the world's best tools anymore don't work comes back to life he is life he brings life he gives life so as we get into today this group again their charge is to be in a community about 60 years 30 years after Jesus comes and they're taking the gospel to people and people don't know the gospel people are hearing it for the first time Radical things are happening. Amazing testimonies are all over the place. And the gospel's being spread, right? This community gets that their job is to take the gospel to their cities. And they're doing that. In word, in deed, in homes, over meals, they're doing that. They're being faithful to the gospel. People are being saved. It just, it sounds like one of those times other than that you might get killed, which is pretty heavy, that it'll be extremely fun to be a part of this community, right? Like, but there's a little bit of that 
give and take in there, right? The good and the bad. And so I'm going to pray today, and then we're going to jump right into our passage. So, Father, when we read these passages, we want to be faithful to what you are saying. And we know, God, when each of us reads these scriptures, something different might jump out. Something might lock in. You might be through your spirit laying into one particular thing for us to really chew on. But as we do this today, as we preach, as we share the word, I pray that it comes to life. That we would see it, God, as the John the Baptist that points to you. Because scripture is that. Scripture without Jesus would just be a book. But Jesus is being pointed to and presented through the entire book. Help you to be glorified today, Jesus, because it's all about gathering with you. Let let our hunger be for you. Let us be passionate about you. Not so that we can sit in rooms by ourselves or think that our Christianity is our own and it's just me and you and that's it. But to know that you have put us upon each other. We are here in the midst of a body to be together with you. That is the gospel. That is the church. Help selfishness to fade. Help selflessness to come to the surface. Help us to travel for stages, not in front of thousands of people, but in hospital rooms when people are mourning, and with families dedicating their babies, and with people who are sad, and with people who have no idea how they're gifted or how to do it, and with people who are struggling through questions and feel ashamed, how can they have Jesus and have questions? Help us to travel to stages like that and stand in front of people with an audience of one, Help us to take off their shoes and wash their feet instead of demanding that we are seen. Help us to live this gospel, gospel of peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the very first, I'm just going to read all of it, if that's cool with you guys. Not the whole book, but these, this is just a small portion. Next week's is much longer, so we're going to really jump into this. The end of all things is at hand. Amen. Therefore... Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, I'm going to say that twice because it's, it is like very emphatic. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without murmur. Grumbling. If I grumble real quick, just like... Each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. It's a beautiful passage. It's almost like the Bible was inspired, you know? That's beautiful. As God's stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks... Oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right? Everybody good? Got about 12 minutes left, okay? So here we go. The first verse you just need to know for Bible literalists, the end of all things is near, being written in 60 A.D., is not literal. So there's some big things happening there. It didn't, the end was not near, right? 
unless, and this is kind of the thoughts theologically, maybe the ending and our ending is different and the way that we view it, I get that, right? But I think there's something deeper involved in this, the end is near, right? This is not like for us to jump on this eschatological, eschatological bent. Eschatological, the end times, eschatology, I'm going to stop saying anything that sounds like that. No. I have this feeling you're going to participate a lot. I just get thrown off. I don't know what to do. What do I do? Can you help me, Jason? <laughs> You're doing good. <laughs> You're doing good. You're doing good. So, okay, back in, back in. So it's not for us to get on this bend of like the end is near and start freaking out. But it is for us to understand while the end for them was not Jesus returning on the clouds. And that didn't happen. Every single human that was alive when this was happening died, correct? Every one of them, no one escaped it. Every one of us, every person sitting in this room is going to die. There is no escape. So whether it's Jesus returning on the clouds and trumpets going off or us sitting in a hospital room, hopefully being loved by the people near us or it happening quickly, all of us, every one of us, our lives will end. And it, you don't know when that's going to happen. And it's going to be sooner than you want, right? I did some research. So just for you to know, around 7,000 people die per hour. Around 150,000 people die every day. And every year, 55 million people die. And I would venture to say that almost all of those people didn't know when it was about to happen. Some of them maybe had the grace to know I'm getting closer to the end of my life, so... It's probably coming soon, but people die all the time, right? And no one knows. And so while I don't think the, the emphasis of this passage, like First Peter has these themes of like, we think it's about this, but if you dig deeper and have some wisdom, you can see it's really about something else. All of us have an end, right? And when you know that you have an end, you act differently. If I told you today, and I hope this isn't true for anybody, but God's will, right? Like... You have one month to live. If I told you that, in one month, you will die. It won't be painful. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be some angels, maybe. You have one month. Think about what you would do, right? And don't, this is a part, don't respond to me. Think about what you would do with one month, right? What would you do? What would I do? I know almost all of us are talking pretty quickly about the people we love, correct? And making sure that they know it. Right? Somebody's, uh, what's it called when you interview somebody? An interview? Yes. Yeah, cool. <laughs> somebody interviewed nurses and asked them if you could choose the best way to die. And this is scary, but they said the best way that we've seen people die is cancer patients in a hospital because they have an extended period of time before that happens where everyone they love is coming around to spend time with them and tell them how much they love them. That's going to keep going, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody, that's not happening anybody, so don't even think about it. Just think about it. Is that Jesus? <laughs> that is a, this is the ringer that never ends. There you go. Thank you, Crystal. So, a friend of mine this past week was talking about, like, the best years of your pastoring lives, because we meet as pastors in our city, actually here at River City now, and They've did, done some research. The pastors that enjoy what seasons they enjoy the best 
60 to 70 years old is the number one decade for pastoring. And I was like, man, I just want to, I want to get there and like be healthy. But I, I kind of, I understand this, right? I understand why it would be in that age frame, because when you're 60 to 70, you have some type of an idea about how important time is. And you know that each of your conversations, each of your interactions mean more because you're probably not going to be here till you're 150, right? So there's a little bit of framing. So if you had one month to live, you would do things very differently. There's things that you would just stop doing, right? Like you wouldn't watch another Netflix show. You wouldn't. And I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm just saying you wouldn't spend any more time. You probably wouldn't even read other books, right? You, you would spend your time with the people you love and my hopes. And this is my, when I thought about this for you guys, with our relationship with God in our world, in that one month, what's happening with that? What's, because I think what was happening sometimes in these times was people would get scared about the future, get scared that something was happening. They actually thought Jesus might be coming back any moment. And they would kind of go away into their own world where they worked on their relationship with God alone. And he's saying in this passage, it's not just about your relationship with God. So don't do that. Don't just go spend time in your relationship with God. He starts talking about things like hospitality, which is the reason the church survived the first 200 years. There was no church buildings in our version of church. They met in literal homes. So the way that meetings happened was someone was so gracious with their home that they invited people in. The word hospitality is actually built around the idea of opening your home to someone, specifically a stranger. And this is how the gospel spread. We have a friend coming into town. He's bringing the gospel. His name is Peter. I don't know if you heard about it, but he preached this sermon to these people that wanted to kill him. He was friends with this guy, Jesus, who died. He's coming into town. He needs a place to stay. They would open their homes. They would open their homes. Hospitality is the reason the first century church survived. Other than Jesus, other than the power of the Holy Spirit. But back to if you had one month to live. This is what I think happens. This is what's sad because I do it. We feel like our one month to live, like when we hit that, is like way later than now. That's like 50, 60 years down the road. So what we do is we put all of our time up front on the things that we need to get done before that. And those things look like my life and my goals and my vision and my dreams. And we cram all that up front, not realizing it's always up front. It's always up front because none of us know we're dying in a month, correct? So we do all of these things to build and accrue and we get houses and cars and we build our reputation and we become good at stuff and none of that's bad. But we don't do that stuff, that other stuff. So we do things like work hard to achieve something. And what if God is saying some of those things don't matter and stop? What does it look like if we actually lived like we were dying in a month every month of our life? Right? Why, why is Sarah Luke's testimony so profound to us who is now still in a hospital, still alive, still kicking over a year and a half ago? She said... God's taking me home soon, and I want you guys to pray that he doesn't. You guys remember when she said that? She's been alive ever since, telling people about Jesus, crazy stories, giving herself away to people, loving people. We show up to minister to her, and we all leave like weeping, being ministered to, right? She's living like she's got one month to live, right? 
What are we doing right now that if we were in that one month, we'd be like, stupid. It's dumb. I want to love my kids the way they need to be loved if I had a month to love them. I don't need to wait for them to... Uh, well, something with my kids is like they're kind of rude. I don't know if you knew this, but our kids, most kids are rude, right? I need them to know that they're rude. So I spend my time like, you're rude, right? Like, why are you so rude? And we went over to, we went over to Ray and Julie Stokes' house yesterday to play volleyball, and I was just mad at my kids the whole time. Because they were like, I was like, you're embarrassing me, guys. We, have, we are pastors. We have to look a certain way. And Noah's like kicking the wall and throwing stuff at the hosts and... What does it look like, though, if right now I knew I had one month? I just want to hug them and love them and speak into them and tell them about their identity and tell them they're going to struggle and I'm going to be with them. Make sure, I would make so sure that they knew how important they were to me and how important they were to Jesus and they were created in His image. I would spend times in conversations doing things I pray about. I would turn my prayer life at night when they're sleeping, which I do, into words I'm speaking to them right now. I love you so much, Lathia. I love you so much. Stop striving so hard at school. You don't have to be perfect. It's okay. Like you're loved, you're called, you're gifted. What would you do with your life if you had one month left? Think about it. It's so important because that's the tone of this. It's to live in such a way that if it's that near, what are you doing? Because it's that important. It's that important that we live that way. Right? So, carrying on. Don't, it says this above all thing, which always is about the same topic in Scripture. Above all Above all, love one another. So if you're like, I don't know what I'd do with my month. I'm going to be honest with you. I still have this thing. I want, I want to produce a record. I want to, I want to preach the best sermon. I want to build a counseling organization. If you're confused, you're like, I don't, even, I don't even know. Above all, love so stinking selflessly that people are confused. If you have one month to live and you're, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to live for God. Love so selflessly that people are freaked out by it. Love people when they don't deserve it. Hug people that don't deserve it. Be around people who are angry at you. Christian love is hard. Christian love is loving someone who is talking bad about you behind your back. Christian love is loving someone you know is not going to return it. It's loving into something knowing they're not giving me anything back. And being okay with it because you're not doing it to receive from them. Christian love is a beautiful thing. It revolutionized a whole society. It ended over decades and decades and centuries and centuries the kind of slavery that was happening in Rome, right? It's the long haul. Love is the long haul. It's not the quick fix. It's not the stop it now. It's never failing because it's never ending, right? And Christian love is this idea. It can be commanded. I can, I can say to you, love someone like Jesus would love because it's not based on emotion. Christian love is not about if you feel good about it or if you don't feel good about it. It's about these guys need to be loved right now. They're broken. They're harming people. I will step in. I will speak life. I will be thick-skinned. I will turn that back over to God, and I will continue to love them. Christian love changes everything, right? It's such a beautiful thing. It's not easy. I see it like this. When you decide to love someone, it gives you liberties with them that don't happen otherwise. And I know this because I think about my kids again. And there was a time two churches ago when we were youth pastors, we got news from the kids department, which is like, when your number comes up on a church, you're like, that's my kid. Has that ever happened to anybody? It's like, oh, that's not my kid. We don't even know who that is. 
And we got the number, we're on staff, we go downstairs, Noah has decided to bite somebody, they're bleeding, awesome. Like the best thing that can happen at church, right? Like, but we take him home, we're not like spanking him, we're not upset at him, we're like, buddy, you really cannot bite people. This is going to happen, if you bite people, this is going to happen. I know you didn't mean to do it, I know you don't understand it. You just had the teeth, skin, bite, that's it, right? Move on. Fast forward a couple of years later, we were at another church and it happened to one of our kids and I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Somebody bit our kid? Do they not know that that's like wrong? And why was somebody not watching when that was happening, right? Like if, if you decide that you're going to love someone, you give liberties and graces that you would give not to other people. And the, the goal here is not to just love your kids better. The goal here is they're all your kids. The goal here is it's all your family. In fact, that was the number one thing that, was, that started stopping the hospitality that was spreading is people had such a strong family value in this culture that they were not willing to open their tables to other people because it might impact their family value. Family became an idol. And if you don't think that's happening in America, you're wrong. Family can become an idol because the whole family of God is your family. The whole family of God is your family. If they live in Zimbabwe, if they live in Mexico, if they live in New York, I know, New York. <laughs> if they live in Jasper, right? If they rode their pontoon boat here, <laughs> right? The whole family of God is to be loved like you would love your kids after they bite someone. The whole family of God is to not respond in anger when yours is bitten by someone else. Adults bite, guys. Not only Christian, like everybody bites. Everybody's hurting. Everybody bites. Moving on. Two different kind of people. Another scenario. One person follows the law by letter. You never see them sin. You never see them make a mistake. If somebody else makes a mistake, they're quick to call them on it. You know that they always live by the, the law. The way you feel around that person. Another person doesn't necessarily do great with the law, but has this kind of attitude towards others that they make space for, love them. They're not judgmental. I'm not saying either one is right or wrong. I'm saying there's one of those people that it's easier to be around. Am I right? There's one of those people that you'd rather be around. Love covers a multitude of sins. When you see someone doing that kind of love, even if they're struggling, there's something that happens in our hearts. Love never fails. So forgive one another. Now, this is quickly. The hospitality idea, and I'm going to end in a second, is not a one-way street. There's a way to hear this and think, yeah, I deserve to be treated like that. I haven't been treated like that in church. And then there's a way to hear it where it talks about each of you has received a gift. Each one of you. There's a mishap happening in churches, especially in America, where we believe that this person is the most important person in the room. I don't say that because I desire that you all... Treat me like dirt, because that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying each of us has a gift. Each person has a gift. We cannot build ministries around one person. The way that this body is healthy, anybody is healthy, is that you recognize the gift that God has put in you. If that's hearing him clearly, having the community speak and pray into you, and then begin to exercise that gift. So if someone invites you into their home to live, that doesn't mean you're there receiving all the time. You're there as well as a brother and sister, and you bring something to the table. Every one of us. The other day, Lathia came home. Are many of my kids in here? Just keep, keep it coming, right? Just spilling it out. 
she came home and she is in a class that's above average, right? And she like, she sent a letter to a teacher last year and was like, I know that you're the teacher of the whatevers and I would really desire to be in your class. And she like went these extra steps and got into class and she's doing really well and she really works hard and she studies so much. And there's a conversation amongst the kids recently. This is just between us, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not going to say anything I should. And she was like, well, why are you guys, why do you guys leave the class? And the other kid goes, well, it's not that we're smarter than you. It's just that we're gifted. And Lathy was like, daddy, <laughs> are some kids gifted in school? And, some, and I was like, Lathia, every stinking kid in that school is gifted. Some are intellectually smart. Some are relationally smart. Some are athletically smart. This guy's athletically smart. <laughs> some are musically smart. Some are compassionate smart. Every person is gifted. Every single person is gifted. Every one of us. And it's been put in us by God, revealed by the Holy Spirit, and can be used to enhance his kingdom at any moment. In a conversation at a church, in a car, on a bus, on a house with a cat and a hat under a mat. <laughs> Every one of us. So first off, if you believe that you're not, that is a lie from hell. You are. Now, is that gift more important than this person's? It is not. And if you think it is, you need to be put in your place. Because it is not. And what Christianity needs more than anything is humble gift people. Humble. If you don't have humility, your gift is a resounding gong. Put it away. Learn how to be humble. Seek God. If you don't have that, it doesn't matter. It does not matter if you're the most talented preacher on the planet. If you are not kind, humble, and, being, and willing to see yourself but every one of you has a gift, each of you. I wish that I could show you what it is, but there's something so beautiful about the process of learning it. Even in this passage where it says, be alert, it talks about so that you can pray. The most interesting part about that is chapters behind when we were going through Mark, we read about how Peter was asked to pray three times one night. And each of the times he was asked to pray by Jesus, Jesus is near him, he falls asleep. Who is writing this book about us being alert and praying? Peter. So the arc of understanding how God uses a human being, you might not get it right off the bat. You might hear, I don't know how to do this in one month. I don't even know what you mean by pray. But Peter didn't know how to, and something happened in between where he knew how to. And that's all of us. Being willing to grow, being willing to fail, being willing to learn, God will take us where we need to be. That's all of us. You don't know your gift? Start the process of understanding how God is asking you to serve. And I will say it like this. This might even be like one of those from God things. If you had one month left and you knew you were going to spend that month working for the Lord, what would you do? That might point to what the gift God has put in you is. To serve the, the one month of serving that you will do, how would you do it? Would you want to teach people? Would you want to visit people in the hospital? Would you, was, I got to preach. I got to preach somewhere. I, I got I to lead in this. So, the gift that God has put in you. Man, I, I want to move past like the church needs to use its gifts to like, let's help you find them, right? Wouldn't that be fun if we knew how to serve one another so much that when people walked among our community, they were like, that love is different. That's crazy. I want that, right? Wouldn't that be awesome if each of you knew and some of you from other bodies, when you showed up to church on Sunday, you're not there to get your blessing right now and be fed, but you're there to like pour into others while you're there at the table. Wouldn't it be awesome if you walked into service and your thoughts were, how is God going to use me today? Yeah. 
instead of like, can you believe that pastor said that? Because I know out of every church you've ever been to that I've said that. I know. And I'm working on it. Okay? So, all right. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end. If we can have the worship team come up, it's going to be an awkward ending, but that's all right. Here it is, though. Please look at me when I say this as serious as I can. You probably, somebody's about to freak out about this. You probably, if you're like them, won't see the end of time come. Maybe you will. Maybe that's happening. But you will see the end of your life. That is coming. Unless Enoch is floating around in here and he's not. Enoch is not in here. You will all leave this planet. What will you do with the time that you have? What will you do with the gift that's been put in you? How will you love people so selflessly? How can you move past the struggles and things connected to things you're working on that he's like, why are you even working on that? I don't want you. That's not for you. You're going to spend 40 years jumping into this thing. I'm not even asking you to do. And then you're going to spend the last 10 years of your life doing the thing I asked you to do. Let's get that, like, put it up here. And maybe when you get done with that, you can do some of the other stuff. Right? How does that look? Who do you call today? Who do you remind how much you love them? Who's hurting in your life that needs to be spent some time with? Whose gift, who, who, who do you just need to encourage? If you all stand to your feet. When I look around this room, again, I'm, I feel like I'm speaking inspired by God. It could be something else, but I think it's him. I see people who are gifted that I care about. I see people that have so much to offer. I don't even know some of you guys. I see you and know that God has called you. He has loved you. He wants you so whole in him that you can spill yourself out to others for him. That is you. Whether you believe it or not, that is you. Will you step up to the plate with him and let him pour into you? Will you let him show you? Will you let him guide you? Will you live your life like you've got one month left? If if your eyes could be closed, I'll just pray over you. Father, this is a beautiful, beautiful community of people. This is the family of God. This is how you show your love to the world. It will never be one of our gifts that's elevated above others. It will be this radical body that offers the generosity that carried the church 200 years before they even had a building. It will be the things we know in our hearts have to be it. Things that we just know. It's got to be humility. It's got to be, I love you even when you're hard to be loved. It's got to be those things. It can't be these other dominating things, these other angry things. It's got to be the heart of God that makes people weep when they're with Him. When Jesus is near me, I always know it because I feel soft-hearted. I feel the peace of God. I experience joy. I feel lightness. My anger at others fades away. When Jesus is near me, I know that I'm inspired to keep living. Jesus is near us. I did this before service with all of our people serving. Imagine right now Jesus walks up to you. And in your mind's eye, let this happen. He walks over to you and He grabs your hand. And he says, I'm going to finish this day with you, every part of it, me and you. What would change about your day? Jesus, let us live like that. In your name we pray. Amen. So God, we thank you for your love. And thank you that we have the opportunity to love one another. God, may we go into this week thinking of one another. May we fervently give ourselves for the sake of each other in Jesus' mighty name, amen.
Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.